Hello, and welcome to the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. Our church has a passion to reach people who are far from God, teach them to follow Jesus, and launch them out to serve God in the world. If you're in the San Diego area, we'd love for you to join us for a service. Please visit questsd.com to learn more about us, find out service times, and explore our ministries. If you have any questions, send us an email at info at questsd.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's message. We are going to jump into our study this morning, so let me encourage you to grab your uh, Bibles as well as your Daniel journals and turn with me to the book of Daniel. Uh, If you're new to the Bible, it's in the Old Testament, and uh, maybe a glossary in the front might be able to help you out. Uh, But uh, we're going to be continuing our our study and series that we uh, started last week in in and through the book of Daniel. Uh, It's a series that we've entitled Dare to Be Different. And uh, it's because what we see in the book of Daniel is uh, Daniel is this young young man. In fact, uh, most scholars believe that Daniel was anywhere from 13 to 17 years of age. So this young boy that really uh, was firm in his faith and made a decision not to compromise his faith when he was confronted with, uh, you know, these issues of, of his culture. Uh, and not only do we see this young boy, uh, as well as uh, some of his friends, take a stand for their faith in their culture and society, but we also see a biblical prophecy that is provided for us in the book of Daniel, and it's just this great intersection where we see the current events that are going on in our world around us being fulfilled, many of them being fulfilled and spoken of by the prophet Daniel. In fact, Jesus validates Daniel's visions and dreams and prophecies even through his own ministry and points us back to Daniel to understand the things that are happening in our world today. So we see uh, many things that are current for us as well as the challenge uh, to, to live a life that is, um, you know, close to the Lord and really standing for our faith. And so, um, if you were with us last week, just a, a little overview of, of what we studied last week. And if you ever miss anything, you can go on our website. You can watch or listen uh, to those messages. In fact, we have a lot of resources available for you um, as well as we go through the book of Daniel. One is the the Daniel journals. It has the entire text of Daniel as well as lined paper so that you can follow along and jot down notes. We also have a study guide that has some questions, kind of just reflective questions of the scriptures that we studied on Sunday mornings, a, a brief overview of the chapter. Um, and uh, so that's a, a great resource for you. But uh, last week we looked at Daniel basically daring to be different. And uh, we kind of focused in on this theme that you can't transform the world by conforming to its ways. And Daniel's a great example of somebody who uh, stood up for his faith. In fact, the key verse in chapter 1 was in uh, you know, chapter 1, verse 8, where Daniel's purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's food. And, uh, you know, when you look at Daniel's decision, it didn't have to do with a meal. It had to do with the spiritual. It was a spiritual decision. And when you look at that word, to defile, it, it, it means to pollute or to stain. And there was a question that we asked ourselves last week, and maybe you thought about that this, this past week. Is there anything in our lives that is polluting or staining my life when it comes to my relationship with God? And every single one of us can have an opportunity to examine and say, God, would you cleanse me? Would you wash me and forgive me? But we are introduced to uh, this 
you know, this journey of Daniel in the first chapter when uh, not only he and some friends, but some people, uh, some Israelites that were conquered by the Babylonian Empire, taken captive into Babylon. And uh, it was really a result of God being in control. You know, three instances in chapter one, we see that God intervened. There was this divine intervention of God that he's in control. And in fact, that theme continues on for us in chapter 2, where we see that God alone is king. And so God's in control uh, of these events, not only personally in our lives, but there was a, there was, um, a punishment. Uh, there, there, there was judgment because of uh, Israel's disobedience and idolatry and kind of wandering away from God. And God often uses hard circumstances to kind of get us back on track. And so Daniel and his friends, along with other people, were taken captive in Babylon. And, and yet we, <clears throat> we see that Daniel refuses to compromise in his faith. And because of that, God honored his, his, his you know, he had these God-honoring convictions. And because of that, there was a, a God-given blessing in his life. And in fact, um, the ripple effects of his life uh, not only impacted the Babylonian court and the king and the officials and high-ranking people uh, in his workplace, but it also just, you know, rippled out uh, beyond, um, beyond him in future generations, but also even in future kings. In fact, chapter 1 ends with this note saying that, that Daniel served um, under King Cyrus as well. And so we see the rise and the fall of, of kingdoms and, and of leaders, but yet Daniel stayed firm and true in his faith. And we're going to see some of that spill over into our study this, this morning in chapter 2. It's a, actually a pretty big chapter. We won't be able to read every single verse in the chapter um, but we will provide the context and the understanding for it uh, just so we know what's happening. But um, really the point that we want to remember today, really the overview, the kind of the main point of chapter 2, is that the God of heaven controls the affairs and the events of earth. The God of heaven uh, controls the affairs and the events of earth. And, and we see that because uh, we're introduced to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar and he has this dream and this dream is uh, kind of a a foretelling of, of future rises of, of different kingdoms on, on planet earth. But uh, we see this one king, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, king of Babylon, a mighty powerful empire. Um, and yet we also see how temporary these earthly kingdoms are in contrast to the king of kings and the lord of lords. In fact, the chapter 2 opens up with uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you know, just exerting his power and his authority in anger over the kingdom. And yet, at the end of chapter 2, we see him humbly prostrated before Daniel, kind of acknowledging, in some sense, that God is the God of heaven. He's the God of all creation. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this really is a progression of King Nebuchadnezzar coming to grips with the reality that uh, his authority only comes from God. It's not his power and his authority. And so we're going to see this in a couple of ways. One is we're going to be introduced to this frustration that King Nebuchadnezzar has over a dream that he has. He's very troubled by it. Secondly, we're going to see that God reveals this mystery of the dream to Daniel. He also provides the interpretation to Daniel. And then lastly, at the end of the chapter, we're going to see that King Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel and his friends because of this miraculous thing that God has accomplished 
through them. There's great success. But uh, Daniel's a great example of when you have success, how to handle those things. And it kind of brings me to this question, you can think about it in your own life, is how do you handle or make or, or deal with hard decisions, difficult decisions? You might be faced with one in your life even right now, and you're wondering, well, how do, how do, I, how do I deal with that? What approach do I take? And, uh, you know, sometimes we just, you know, when we're faced with difficult decisions, we, we just want to we want to force something. We want to make something happen. We want to <clears throat> figure out and, uh, and, and get it done and, and resolve it quickly. Other times we might look for advice and counsel from, from other places. Hopefully you're not getting your, your wisdom and counsel from social media or uh, from Snapchat or Instagram or uh, the news. <clears throat> Hopefully as a Christ follower, <clears throat> excuse me, Hopefully, as a Christ follower, uh, you are seeking the Lord's counsel and, and wisdom and guidance and direction. I know for you know, many years of my life, before I committed my life to Christ, I was looking for, to other sources for, for hope and, and for truth and, and for guidance and direction in life. But what I found is that they were only temporary and they didn't provide uh, lasting contentment. And I found that no one had the answers that, uh, to the questions that my heart was asking. And that is what we're introduced to in the opening verses of this chapter with King Nebuchadnezzar. And so we see this contrast between no person on earth can solve this problem versus Daniel saying to King Nebuchadnezzar, but there is a God in heaven who can't. And so hopefully that kind of gets us thinking about these types of decisions or troubling circumstances or even frustrating dilemmas that we have. Because we see King Nebuchadnezzar approach it in one way and we see Daniel approach it in a completely different way. Now I'd like to say that I, I handle dilemmas the way Daniel would, but uh, I don't always. I'm usually like King Nebuchadnezzar and we'll see what I mean as we jump into our story Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his sleep uh, left him. Everyone say troubled. Troubled. He's very upset and troubled. He's trying to make sense of what is happening in this dream. You might experience similar emotions in life. Something at work or in the relationship or a family, just a dynamic with a neighbor, whatever it is, uh, you know, it's very difficult for you to sleep at night. You're very troubled. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Then the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, the Chaldeans, to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Everyone say anxious. So now we get a little bit further glimpse into what's going on in his heart. He's very anxious. So he's confronted with a dilemma, a situation that is troubling and frustrating him. And because of that, he's very anxious. There's distress and panic. And he turns to his astrologers. He turns to the the wise people. And we have to remember that Daniel is one of these wise guys. Not in a bad way, but uh, in a good way. God positioned and placed him in the kingdom for such a time as this, for this very purpose. He was part of these wise people who would give counsel. And so he says, my spirit is anxious. And in verse 4, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king 
in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will give the interpretation. And the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. Pretty harsh, pretty intense. And your houses shall be made an ash heap. However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. Now jump down to verse 10. And the Chaldeans answered the king based on this issue. They said, there is not a person, not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. And so here in these opening verses, we see the frustration of the king. He has this troubled dream. Now, it's pretty wise on King Nebuchadnezzar's part to say, if uh, you can't tell me the dream, then I, I know that you won't be able to give me the interpretation. Because he could have just said, hey, what's your, what's your counsel? What's your advice on this? This is my dream. And, you know, the astrologers could have come up with anything. Who knows if that was accurate or true? You see, if you can predict the dream, you can also provide the meaning. And so this was uh, a problem that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was trying to deal with. And we can see his emotional state. It's just kind of falling apart. And he turns to his astrologers. and He looks for the counsel and the wisdom and advice. And, you know, these uh, wise guys were actually onto something. They said to the king, there's not one person who can answer you, who can solve your problem, who has, who has the solution. And as I mentioned earlier, I think sometimes we turn to certain people or certain things to look for solutions. There's not one person. I think it's, a, it's pointless, it's a waste of time, and it's worthless to put our hope and trust in anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we put our hope and trust, when we run after these things, we find out, well, I mean, it's, uh, there's no wisdom there. You know, who has known the mind of the Lord or offered him any counsel? His ways are way above our ways and his thoughts um, above our thoughts. So what happens is, is when we don't get the answers to the problems or the questions that we're seeking and, and asking, we can uh, follow the path of King Nebuchadnezzar. We can become irritable, unreasonable, and because of that, just miserable, miserable to be around. I know none of you are like that. You don't get irritable and you don't have unreasonable demands on the people who are around you. And you're never miserable. How come I see husbands and wives elbowing each other right now? What's going on there? No, you're turning to the person. Are you listening to this guy? You, need to, you are really irritable this morning. No, uh, we're all, we all have this sense, you know, it's just kind of in our human nature. Where sometimes when we can't figure things out, I kind of, you know, think about it as like a juggler. Or, uh, you know, someone at the circus who's got these plates that are spinning, you know, or somebody who's juggling balls. And every single one of us has many different issues and many different decisions and many different things that are going on in our life. And we're, we're trying to just keep the show going. We're trying to just spin the plate because we're, we're fearful. We're afraid. If we don't have control over the situation then these things, the balls are going to fall and the plates are going to shatter and everything's going to fall apart. And, and King Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of somebody who's got all of these things going on and he looks for, for other solutions and other, uh, other answers. And he comes to the realization that those things that he was looking for to have hope and trust in were empty. 
There was nobody who could provide the solution and the answer. It's impossible, these people said. And uh, sometimes because of that, we can spiral out of control. We try to maintain control. But uh, really the best way to, uh, to maintain control is to get out of control, meaning to let go, to cast our burdens upon the Lord, to take them to him, to say, God, I, I don't know how this is going to happen, and I'm just I'm spinning my wheels here, and it's, I'm only, I'm, I, it's only causing more frustration in my life. I'm more irritable. I'm just miserable. There's no contentment and, and happiness and, and, and peace in, in my life. Lord, would you take control uh, of the situation? And so he responds, right, with ruthless anger. There are unreasonable demands. And because of this, Daniel is caught up in this situation. Notice the story continues on in verse 14. And then... With counsel and wisdom. Everyone say counsel. And now say wisdom. Now the Bible talks a lot about wisdom. You can read the book of Proverbs. There's so many verses that you can see about, you know, a foolish person who just makes a decision without understanding the facts of the situation, right? That the Bible also says that the, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We're also told in chapter 1 that God gave Daniel and his friends supernatural wisdom. And the wisdom from above is first peaceable and gentle and willing to yield. So if you're facing a decision and you just have this uh, anxiousness and this anger and this frustration, then that's not the wisdom from God. There's peace. There's a willingness to push pause and to wait and to say, okay, God, I'm going to wait on you. And waiting on God is never wasted time. When you wait on him, you begin to see the Lord. Just work out his plan and his purpose. But we just want to rush out. That's Nebuchadnezzar's response to the problem. Rush out. Take control. Make something happen. And you realize, well, that didn't work. Now what do I do? And so uh, Daniel here is the contrast. Counsel and wisdom. Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? And then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. And so Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. I, I see a couple of things. We're going to outline it for us. But, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you if some of this is resonating with situations in your life is that Daniel shows us a better way to deal with the dilemmas. And the first here is that he pushes pause. He waits. See, we want to rush out and take control and fix things. But Daniel says, I need some time. I need to seek the Lord. I need to wait. I have never made a good decision when I was frustrated or angry or nervous or anxious or these sort of things. I've never sent an email or a text that I never regretted when I was angry, upset, or frustrated, right? You just want to take those things back. Is there any way we can delete it? Don't see that. Don't read it. You know, hopefully it didn't get sent. We've never made those good decisions. And so Daniel here, he, see, um, King Nebuchadnezzar responded to the dilemma with anger. And it was, uh, it was potential for Daniel to respond with fear. Why? Because his life is at stake. Oh my goodness, I'm going to die. 
I'm fearful, so let me just fix the problem, right? No, he gives, shows us a better way. He goes to the king and says, I need to push pause on this king. Would you give me some time? And so in verse 17, Daniel, notice he says, I'll tell you the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house. Ooh, here's an interesting thing. Everyone say house. He goes to his home. And he made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, and his companions. Now, his house is going to come up a little bit later when he's told that he's got to, you know, worship, you know, these, this idol. And yet he goes to his house, the Bible says, as was his custom to pray. You can't pray to any other God. Well, he goes to his house and he prays. He continues seeking the Lord. And so he says to his friends, he goes to his house, gathers his friends, in verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And then he writes this beautiful song. You guys can read that on your own. Just praising the Lord and thanking him and just glorifying him. Now, uh, in some ways, I wish, uh, it it seems as though the answer to Daniel's prayer came either that night or very quickly. And in some ways, I wish that would happen in my situations, right? You know, you want God to answer right away and, you know, fix the problem. Sometimes he will and sometimes he doesn't so that we're waiting upon him. But here's a couple of, of takeaways in Daniel's response compared to and in contrast with King Nebuchadnezzar's, right? God reveals this mystery to Daniel and his friends. But notice that we get a glimpse into Daniel's character. And, you know, the Bible does talk about how when we go through hard times that we should count it all joy for we know that the trials that we face produce perseverance and perseverance character. And yet I also find that in moments of crisis, character, because what God has done in our hearts, character is often revealed through moments of crisis. And it's revealed, you know, so that we can see where our deficiencies are, you know, uh, you know, in the sense that, wow, I didn't realize that that was in my heart, and I I didn't know I was fearful in those areas. And so oftentimes, crisis reveals the character. It it doesn't build it, Uh, and yet this is what Daniel's dealing with. We see this character of waiting, of seeking the Lord. Here's just a, a very simple, you know, sort of pathway or plan as Daniel deals with dilemmas. First, I mentioned it already. He pushes pause, wait, Wait upon God. Okay, God, I'm going to trust you even though this is very difficult and and very hard to handle. I'm just going to wait upon you. So maybe you need to stop fighting and stop forcing and stop running and stop working because every time you do, you just bump up into another wall and it's causing more frustration, more anxiety, and more anger in your life. And you could come to the Lord and say, okay, God, I just, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, can I just push pause? I'm sorry for all that back there. <laughs> I just, just want to push pause. And when you push pause, notice what happens. Daniel, secondly, he seeks out godly people in his life. He surrounds himself with guys 
that are going to give him counsel and wisdom. You know, the Bible says there's a wisdom in the multitude of counsel and that we should be very cautious with the people that we surround ourselves with because, you know, um, having godly friends will impact and influence, influence us in our lives. And the truth can be said in an opposite way as well, that, you know, good company uh, can you know, encourage us and, and bless us. And so Daniel is a great example of, of somebody who just surrounded himself. And maybe, you know, that's an encouragement to you is where am I getting my wisdom and counsel from? Where am I seeking, you know, advice and, and information and knowledge from? And this is just a great way to just go to people and say, would you, I, you know, what's your thought on this? Can you, can you help me out? And, you know, what does the Bible even have to say? And it's just an encouragement to have people like that in our lives. And then thirdly, we see him retreat to pray privately. Yeah, I wish that was my first response when it comes to dilemmas and crisis, but, you know, often it's not. And yet, here we see Daniel seeking the Lord, the mercies of God, praying, God, would you reveal your truth? And then as God does, what does he do? He praises, right? He praises the Lord. And maybe that's just an encouragement for you today. Yeah, I need to stop. I need to stop fighting and forcing this. And I need to seek godly counsel and and wisdom from from others. And I need to just pray to to the Lord and and ask him for, for his mercies. You know, when, when life is full of dilemmas and it's complete with problems and panics and fears, I think the best solution is to retreat with God in prayer. Just, God, I'm going to cast all my anxieties, the Bible says, cast all your anxieties upon him. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. There's also something to be said about, you know, godly friends. I think praying friends are one of life's most precious fortunes. When you have praying friends around you, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and people who you can get behind closed doors, that's a precious that's a precious thing. It's a good thing. So uh, surround ourselves is an encouragement. Surround ourselves with uh, friends who are going to pray for us. Seek the counsel and the wisdom and, and the discernment of God. Here's the two ways, two different ways to deal with the dilemmas of life. Now we're getting to really the heart of the issue for King Nebuchadnezzar. And we begin to talk a little bit about the dream as well as the interpretation. And um, jump down with me to verse 27, because as God brings the revelation as well as the interpretation, notice he goes before the king. He says, uh, I have, have, uh, you know, the the meaning and, and the interpretation. Then Daniel says, answers in verse 27, in the presence of the king and said, the secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Notice the transition there. Now there's a focus upon the God of heaven. There's a focus upon the one who can. The biggest problem in the kingdom, in the Babylonian empire, is who can solve this problem? And this young teenage boy is pointing to the solution. It's the God of heaven. He's the one. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head upon your bed were these. 
As for you, O king, thoughts came to your mind while on your bed about what would come to pass after this. And he who reveals secrets has made known to you what will be. Notice verse 30. But as for me, this secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for your sakes, who made known the interpretation of the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Notice he doesn't draw any attention to himself. There's a humility in Daniel's approach to the king. You know, he could have really focused in on his ability and all the rewards and all the promotion and all the success and all the gifts. But he says, king, it's not about me. It's about the God of heaven. Verse 31, you, O king, were watching. Here's the dream. And behold, a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. And this image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. And then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed. They were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So Daniel provides for the king what no one in the kingdom could through the vision that God gave him in understanding and interpreting dreams of this great statue and of this image. So Daniel uh, interprets this dream in very precise accuracy for the king. It was a very serious situation. Notice he, he talks about the urgency and it required this bold action that he, he went before the king and, and uh, he told him you know, about the dream as, as well as goes on in the following verses about the interpretation. Now, I just wanted to make mention of a couple of things in Daniel's response. One is, is that we see his humility. We see that he wasn't drawing attention to himself. You see, Daniel was the kind of guy who didn't worry about who got the the applause so much as God got the praise. And, you know, he was focusing in on God is the one who has done this. Don't look at me. In fact, uh, at the end of the chapter, we see the king fall down before Daniel, prostrate, you know, and there's almost a sense of even worshiping Daniel because of this great thing that, that he has, has revealed. And yet Daniel didn't want to get any credit. He didn't want to get any praise or any applause or any glory. He wanted to focus in on God being the one who reveals the secrets and God being the one who has done this great thing. And uh, so this is the image that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar sees in his dream. We're told about this, uh, this great statue. And basically what we have here, just in a very simple summary for us, we have two contrasts. One, we have a powerful statue described in this vision, the head of gold, uh, the, uh, the bronze of, of, of the, you know, the chest uh, and the arms, uh, excuse me, silver, the bronze of the, of the waist, uh, the iron of feet and the clay and, and, and the iron mixed in the feet, this, this powerful statue. And basically, it, 
it symbolizes the, the earthly kingdoms. And yet, in contrast to the powerful statue, we also see the prominent stone. You notice the wording there, there's this small stone cut out without hands. Now it's interesting, when you look at other verses in the Bible, you can see that even Jesus himself talks about how he is the stone, the mustard seed, but it how even the kingdom of heaven starts off as this small mustard seed, but it grows into this mighty tree. So there's this contrast between the earthly kingdoms that, as Daniel interprets this dream, and uh, the destruction of various earthly kingdoms, we're told that earthly kingdoms come and go. They rise and they fall. But yet this stone and this eternal kingdom will be dominant over all of the earth as well as it will never end. And so we see this prominent stone. There is a heavenly king contrasted with these earthly kingdoms. Now there's been much, uh, you know, interpretation and uh, you know, from various scholars as to what this dream means. In fact, Daniel goes on to interpret this dream and talk about the various kingdoms that will rise after the Babylonian Empire. And many, you know, if you just track, uh, if you just track history, you see that after the Babylonian Empire, there was um, the rise of the Medo-Persian Empire. After the Persian Empire, there was the rise of the Greek Empire. After the Greek Empire, there was the rise of the Roman Empire. And so many scholars point to the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy and interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream as the rise and fall of many of these great empires on planet earth. But I, I would say this, just kind of a side note, the point of, of King Nebuchadnezzar's dream is not to understand specifically which kingdoms are rising and falling. We see that throughout history. The point is to understand that God alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the king. And in fact, as the interpretation is given by Daniel to King Nebuchadnezzar, he falls down and he acknowledges, you know, God is this king of king and Lord of lords. But what does he do in the very next verse in Daniel chapter 3? He builds this image of gold and he commands the entire kingdom to bow down and worship him. He's not getting the picture. He's not understanding. He's like, well, if the, if the head of gold in my dream, my first dream, if, if the head was gold in my first dream, then why not make it all gold so everybody can see how great and powerful I am, right? And so he didn't understand that his power and his authority came from this God of all of creation. So the point is to understand in this dream that God is the one who is in control. That he is the king of kings. That his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, which was prophesied by Daniel, uh, spoken of of the prophets in the Old Testament, and fulfilled as Jesus Christ stepped foot on planet earth and said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To enter into the kingdom of heaven through the stone that the builders rejected, Jesus being that chief cornerstone, the small one. Beautiful picture of the Messiah, the one who was to come and to set up God's eternal kingdom on earth. To enter into that kingdom by what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. 
It's a beautiful picture of the gospel, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that we would be born again, entered into the kingdom of heaven, being made new, adopted into the family of God. This is the hope of the eternal kingdom that was prophesied by Daniel in the Old Testament, seen fulfilled as, as history unfolds through various kings and various, um, uh, various uh, empires and leaders throughout history. Jesus is this prominent stone. He has come to establish the kingdom of heaven. And all other kingdoms will fall. In fact, we're told in the interpretation in this dream that as this stone is, is hit upon the feet of the iron and of the clay and of the mixture, it not only destroys the feet, but it destroys the entire statue. Meaning that every other kingdom of men is inferior to the great kingdom of God. And Jesus has come to usher in that kingdom. Now, what happens at the end of this is mighty and miraculous. Look with me in verse 46, because in the previous verses, I, I read the verses about the dream so you get the context of understanding what this statue included, and I just provided a little bit of insight into the interpretation of that basically being the rise and fall of kingdoms to come. Verse 46 tells us the result of that. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that they should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and the revealer of secrets. Notice there's this pagan king acknowledging the supremacy and authority of the God of heaven through the works of this young teenage boy. Again, going back to how a life, um, a life that it's pretty remarkable that, uh, that one life that is wholly dedicated and consecrated to God has the potential to impact not only the people in their immediate you know, world, but for generations to come. And here is a picture of Daniel doing that, impacting this king, pointing him to the God of uh, the, the God of uh, the, the God of gods, right? And in verse 48, then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon, and the chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. And also Daniel petitioned the king, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Notice in these final verses, the king promotes Daniel and his friends with great honor. One, there's an amazement set by, king, by the king based on this interpretation and re revealing of the dream, but there's also this acknowledgement that God is the God of gods, and then lastly, there's this advancement for these young men who God has used very powerfully in the kingdom. Amazement, he falls down. This is a, quite a dramatic turn of events and an uncharacteristic humility, humility that is expressed by King Nebuchadnezzar as he, as he worships and, and as he acknowledges. As I mentioned earlier, though, there is an ongoing process for King Nebuchadnezzar to come to full appreciation and grips with who God is and to fully surrender 
his, his life to him, but yet he is introduced to this God early on through this dream. And uh, yet, as we talked about previously, Daniel is not wanting to have any, you know, glory or applause or praise for himself, but he does experience a tremendous amount of success. God uses him powerfully, and it could have gone to his head. Uh, it, it could have um, resulted in, in pride and said, look what I've done, uh, you know, just drawing attention to himself. But, you know, I think it gives us a, a good principle that, that success, any success that God does in and through our lives is best served with a slice of humble pie, right? <laughs> just kind of my way of, my little take on, on these verses, success that God uses in our lives is best served with a slice of humble pie. Just like, let's just eat the hum- humble pie. You know, let's just be humble and, and point people to the Lord, not to us. Oftentimes, we have a tendency to take, you know, God's victories as our successes. And yet, Daniel's a great example of just pointing the king back to the one who should get the praise and get the honor and get the glory. And the king encounters the living God through other people. Other people who are representing the Lord. It's a great example for us as we, as we see Daniel once again in a position, in a place where it was overwhelming. So very difficult for him beyond his ability to do or to perform or to act, and yet he put his full confidence and trust and hope in the God who can, and the Lord was faithful to that decision. So with that, I'm going to have our worship team come on up. They are going to lead us in a, in a closing song, but just pause with me for a moment. In just a few minutes, we're going to rush back out into our world and you know get back into the schedule and back into the dilemmas and the troubles maybe and the problems and the questions that uh, are being juggled in your life. And this is a great opportunity to just go and seek godly counsel. God, I need your wisdom in your direction. It's a great opportunity to say, I don't want to control this anymore. I know that you can control and that you see all things. The God who is in control of history If God can control the rise and fall of human kingdoms, he can also control the rise and fall of your emotions, of your emotional state, (laughs) of your problems that come and go. You can trust him to seek godly counsel. Maybe even after the service, I'm available. I'd love to pray with you and uh, encourage you and other people in your small group or small Bible study or, uh, you know, your accountability partner or your discipleship friend or, or somebody you know that you trust that is walking with the Lord and has a, has, has a heart close to Him and, and close to Scripture. And you can just say, what do you think about this? And, you know, can you help me? Can you pray with me? And I guess another takeaway would be to set our hearts to pray first when faced with these problems and and these dilemmas. And maybe you might also be experiencing these types of anxieties and fears and frustrations. And you have been, if you're going to be honest with yourself and with the other people who you came to church with, that you have been very irritable. And no, someone didn't send me an email. And uh, well, why did you talk to the pastor before the service and say, I've been irritable and I've just been miserable? No, that's not the case. I, I don't have inside information on any of that. 
But I know that the Lord does. He sees. We can fool people on the outside, but we can't fool the Lord. And if that's the case, and you really have a conviction in your heart right now, that's a good thing. It's good because Jesus is involved in your life. And you have a tender enough heart to acknowledge that something is not quite right. And when that is the situation, just go to the, go to the Lord. Say, God, fix it. You know, take these anxieties. Cast all your cares and burdens upon him because he cares for you, the Bible says. And I know that he's, this is what God has done in my life, that the moment I place those burdens down before the Lord, he just picks them up and carries that burden for me. And then lastly, if God is using you, don't let it go to your head. Keep eating the humble pie and put and shine the spotlight on Jesus in every stage, in every platform that God gives you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for once again this picture of Daniel uh, as a young man whose character is revealed in crisis. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to mold and shape our character as well. Help us in some of these character deficiencies. And maybe we just have been running after things that are never going to provide the solution. I pray if there's anyone in this room right now or anyone who is watching online that you've tried everything. You, you literally have tried everything. And you're at your wit's end. You're just so frustrated I know that you're hearing this message or you're here today because God is drawing you close to him he wants to have a relationship with you, carry those burdens, cleanse and wash your heart so there's no longer any spot or wrinkle or uh, sin and just in the quietness of your own heart you can Come to the Lord with that broken, with that brokenness, and allow Him to put the pieces. Sometimes it's good to let the plate shatter. Maybe you just need to let that shatter. Just break it apart. Let God put together the broken pieces of your life. He loves you. He's faithful. Thanks again for joining us for the Quest Church San Diego Sermon Podcast. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions about the Bible, need prayer, or recently made a commitment to follow Jesus, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit questsd.com to get connected. You can also send us an email at info at questsd.com to let us know how God is using these messages to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Until next time, we pray you have a blessed week.